Hi, I'm Josh Block, host of Uncover Escaping Nexium from CBC Podcasts. I pull back the curtain on the secretive self-help group that experts call a cult and follow one woman's harrowing journey to get out. The podcast was featured in Rolling Stone magazine and named one of the best podcasts of 2018 in The Atlantic. Listen to Uncover Escaping Nexium on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We've been here for a couple of days, and I will admit, when we came to Winnipeg in February, I thought it was going to be a bit colder. I was ready for some bone-chilling days, a lot of snow, we thought we'd get out on the river, there would be ice. It was kind of wild from a distance watching the weather leading up to this. There's drizzle, there's rain, we got here, there's a little bit of snow tonight, but it doesn't feel like early February. The return of cold temperatures, such as they are, is welcome news for my next two guests. They both play key roles in making this city a winter city, a great winter city. Please welcome, if you would, Liz Reeford and Anders Swanson. So one of the things that I had hoped to do, Liz, was try this thing called the Manitoboggan. We were not able to do the Manitoboggan, but can you explain to the rest of the country what, what this creation is? Sure. I really wanted to take you on Manitoboggan. I'm sorry. The winter just didn't It's not your fault. Up. It's the winter's I know, fault. I know. And perhaps I'm better off not <laughs> risking my life maybe, hurtling maybe. down this thing, but describe what yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in Winnipeg, we don't have any hills, so we have to build them. Um, so this is a phenomenon that I don't think happens anywhere else, but we actually build toboggan hills, toboggan slides. So Manitoboggan is a large wood structure that um, has two toboggan slides with long ice chutes at the bottom of them. Um, it also has a warming shelter and it is accessible, so it has a ramp that takes you up to the top of the slide. So as far as we know, this is the first and maybe only accessible toboggan slide in the entire world. With luck, there will be an opportunity to use Manitoboggan in the weeks ahead for yes. people who are here. And with luck, there will also be an opportunity to play the sport that is sweeping the nation. <laughs> Perhaps not yet, but hopefully soon. Crocodile curl? Yes, yes. Crocodile curl is a combination of crokinole and curling and when I ask when I talk in other cities what crokinole is only a handful of people put their hands up but how many people here know what crokinole is right right like most of the hands in the almost audience everybody <laughs> so that doesn't happen anywhere else but crokinole is a game that is quite specific to Winnipeg and the prairies and parts of Ontario it is a uh, wooden board game that you play on a tabletop. Uh, you flick chips into the middle of the board. Um, and one day we were playing crokinole in my office, and we kind of started talking about it and thought, oh, this is actually pretty similar to curling. But for sure someone's done this before, like put the two things together. And so we looked it up and um, found out that nobody had. So we spent the next few weeks in our office um, developing rules and kind of designing the whole thing. And um, I took it to the Forks in Winnipeg and uh, said, I think this is actually going to be awesome. You should probably build it. And they said, okay. And, um, and they did, and that was uh, 2017, and you basically play it like crokinole, but with curling rocks on ice. It was 
so popular so quickly. People called it the most Canadian thing that's ever happened. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's been built all across Canada in the last few years. It's even been built in the States, even See? though they have no idea what Crokinole is. I wasn't exaggerating <laughs> when I said it's sweeping the yeah, country. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, the way that you both speak about winter, and Anders, you're part of this as well, is really I was going to say poetic, but it is. I mean, you, you love that season and you love the possibility of that season. Tell us what you do um, with your organization, uh, Winnipeg Trails, to try to get people to embrace something that maybe people elsewhere in the country run away from, which is cold temperatures and a lot of snow. We started a program called Winterpeg uh, during COVID. Everything else was closed and we were the most popular thing on the planet. At least, well, here, which is the center of the universe. And... Um, <laughs> What we decided to do was beckon people outside. It wasn't easy to call it Winterpeg because it's already a thing that people use, I would argue, pejoratively. Mm. Um, but I like to think, you know, winter is our ocean. You know, uh, the ocean is bigger than us. It, tell, it puts us in our place. It makes us feel nature in a present way. Um, and just like the ocean is, is fun. I mean, I think we, we, we're living in a time where, you know, we're rethinking how work works. We're rethinking how time works. And I think sort of that connection to nature is what we need to get back to. It's the future of all kinds of things. And so we just asked people to come outside and we asked ourselves, what could we actually do? Um, and what turns out what we could actually do is ask Winnipeggers and hundreds of you um, gave us ski equipment. And we car created something called the Mobile Ski Library, which turns out doesn't exist anywhere. <laughs> and... And the mobile ski library is just an offer. It says, come outside and play, when it's become a real hit. Part of this is, is making it for everyone. Um, and this is something Liz talked about as well with the Manitoboggan, that it's accessible. Mm -hmm. There's somebody who's in our audience, and I met him uh, on Sunday when we were down at the Forks. Oleks Korniko, who is a Paralympian from Ukraine, who's here with us, who has been doing a bunch of work Whoa. to make winter more fun. There he is. I mean, it sounds obvious, but... but why is that so important? One thing I've learned is that when you plan for everybody, um, everybody wins. Yeah. And, and I guess what I mean by that is for Winterpeg, because we brought all this equipment near you, it was free. That's another thing I think that Winnipeg can teach the world is if you love something, you should share it. Mm. So we brought this equipment and, and people it erased barriers for, for everyone. So we're trying to share this message that winter is actually an enabler. When our rivers freeze, we have pedestrian bridges from our houses to any of our friends. And when it, when it comes, we should embrace it because um, it's sort of like a reset button. It's a reset button mentally for ourselves, for our, for our psyche, and it's a reset button sort of for the city. And I, I gotta say, in case you kick me off here, uh, Matt, um, I love your shirt. So Matt's, Matt's wearing a shirt with a, a bicycle with a, a maple leaf on it. And I, I just finished 10 years as the chair of Canada's Bicycle Federation. Mm. And I went into that being from Winnipeg thinking, okay, if there's one thing that I'm going to share with the rest of the world, it's the fact that if we can have biking in Winnipeg year round, then the rest of the world can have that. <laughs> and I learned through that process that there are people everywhere that are embracing the winter and being able to do that. Mm. So I, I just, I think the future is full of joy. I really do. Liz, what's, what's the lesson when it comes to winter that Winnipeg could teach the rest of the country, do you think? It's the spirit of collaboration that we all have here. Um, we have many newcomers in the city and finding winter activities for them to do that isn't skating, 
you know, a lot of Winnipeggers can skate before they can walk, but people that move here can't do that. So what are, what are other things that we can offer that everybody can do? I think we're doing that really well as a city. Let it snow and let it get cold. Yeah, please. <laughs> Thank you both. Liz Reeford is a landscape architect, inventor of Coca Curl. Anders Swanson is executive director of Winnipeg Trails and the Winter Peg Festival. So whenever we go on the road, um, one of the things that we have to do, because I like to eat, um, is to eat the local food. And we are going to talk about the food of Manitoba. Yes, we are going to be talking about nips and fat boys and honey dill sauce and how the food culture here has been shaped by indigenous communities and waves and waves and waves of newcomers like the ones we were just talking about. Here with me on stage, Janice Thiessen, who is a food historian, co-author along with Kimberly Moore of a forthcoming book that I was reading on the plane ride here. And I apologize to the person who is sitting beside me because you could probably hear my stomach grumbling away. The book is called mm, Manitoba, the stories behind the foods we eat. We're also joined by Patrick Anderson, who's a chef and instructor at the Indigenous Culinary Schools program at Red River College. Hello to you both. <laughs> Janice, when you think of, of the dishes that are distinctly Manitoban, what immediately comes to mind? Uh, possibly vina tarta. Oh. Oh. You have to explain what that is. Vina tarta is an Icelandic uh, treat. It's a cake, multiple layers, very thin cake with jam in between and then icing. And it is more popular in Manitoba than back in Iceland oh where it comes goodness. from. Uh, Can we talk about the fat boy? Uh, we must talk about that. Um, in the book you say, these are ours, they belong to Winnipeggers. Yes, the words of my co-author Kimberly Moore, they are distinct. You can only find fat boys here. They're a phenomenon of the Greek diner culture that emerged in Winnipeg. I availed myself of one today. At Junior's? Good choice, yep. <laughs> I'm different now, having eaten... <laughs> What, I mean, you have to explain what it is. There are people across the country who have no idea what I, what I ate. It's a cheeseburger. It has to have uh, lettuce and tomato. The lettuce has to be shredded. And then the key feature is it has to have Greek chili, which mm. is runny, no beans, and it has cinnamon. What, is, what does it mean to this province? Uh, Aside from the fact that it's delicious. It's a survival skill for winter. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, from your perspective, what, what are the most iconic foods of Manitoba? Speaking on indigenous food, exactly. Um, what I hear a lot from my students is moose meat, actually. Moose meat, you know, with a delicious fry bread. But anything that is locally sourced in Manitoba, that's what I think about as Manitoban cuisine. So what we're trying to teach our students is, what do you eat now? How can you replace that with a traditional ingredient, like bannock, for instance? A lot of white flour right? Not the healthiest thing. We're trying to teach students how to mill down wild rice, red lentils, pea fiber, substitute a little bit of that natural ingredient in there just to take away the 100% white flour mm. and add a little bit of nutrients into that dish. So that's what we're trying to do is just slowly integrate these traditional ingredients to get back to a more traditional diet, which is what our, our bodies are wanting. You have an assignment for your students called eating the weed. Eating the weeds, yes, that's a fun assignment. Um, it's not what it sounds like. Explain what it is. <laughs> well, it kind of is exactly what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> I take that back. 
we all have ingredients that grow in our backyard that we've never used before. Um, the pineapple weed, burdock, um, bulrushes, all of those ingredients can be eaten and they have been eaten in the past. Indigenous communities used to say if we found bulrushes, we had a source of fire, a source of water, and a source of fuel mm. because they grow in water. You can burn the fluff and you can eat the husk, the inside of it. It actually kind of tastes like corn when you boil it down and you roast it. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And it's a complete, it just gets people thinking so differently about what's around them. Exactly. Yeah. You think outside the box a little bit. The things that are around you that perhaps you don't understand is, is part of, of what you did with this book, Janice. You, you, tell us a little bit about the approach. Uh, we had a food truck and took it to various locations, invited people on board the truck to cook a sample of something meaningful, not necessarily tasty, but meaningful to them. And then while they cooked it and while we ate it together, we interviewed them about their lives and how that food fit in with their own history and their community's history. Not necessarily tasty? Food can be meaningful without being delicious, right? <laughs> the, the example I always share is uh, the pork chops my mother made. She would fry them till they would curl and then rehydrate them with a topping of like that bright green pickle relish. And so that's what I grew up with. Mm. It was years before I figured out there was another way to do pork chops. Right? <laughs> but it ties into all these memories about like, my parents, their upbringing oh. in the 30s and the 40s. You learn so much about history even from foods that are not, should not be replicated. What did you learn about your province in doing this? Uh, tremendously varied, immense histories, some of them dating back you know, tens of thousands of years. Everyone very much dedicated to uh, their community and food as a way of sharing their history. What do you think the food that we eat tells us about who we are? I think it tells us about what is important to us. Many of us are eating out of convenience because time is uh, very valuable to us. And I guess it's what you prioritize in your life. Is your time more important or is your long-term health? There's something, I mean, there, there, there's sustenance in that, but there's a philosophical ar argument to that as well. Yeah, I think so as well. Thanks both for telling us about what you're doing. I think we're all hungry now. Thank you, Matt. Chef Patrick Anderson teaches in the Indigenous Culinary Skills Program at Red River College. Janice Thiessen is co-author of the forthcoming and delicious book, mm, Manitoba, the stories behind the food we eat. Thank you both. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.